Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for uh, bringing us together in uh, safety and uh, peace uh, that we're able to uh, open up uh, the scriptures together and to uh, grow in the knowledge of you and of your son. I pray that your spirit would be with us, uh, that he would teach and instruct us uh, for uh, all scriptures God breathed and uh, spoken uh, by your apostles and prophets as they're carried along by your Holy Spirit. And uh, we pray that all of our words and all that we uh, think and do and the attitudes of our heart would be glorifying and honoring to you and uh, that you'd bless our time together. And we pray in your son's name. Amen. So we're back in Isaiah chapter 7. And we've been leading up to this uh, sign, uh, the sign of the Alma, the Virgin. And uh, we've, we've already discussed uh, just the, the context in which now uh, with King Ahaz reigning, uh, we had seen in the, the previous chapter with Isaiah's commissioning uh, that King Uzziah died, but... Uh, Yahweh was still enthroned over Israel. Uh, he is their, uh, their true king. And then with uh, you have Jotham, uh, now Ahaz, uh, his son, who's uh, reigning over Israel in the Davidic line. Uh, and uh, at this time, around 735 BC, you have this crisis in which uh, the Arameans to the north, uh, modern-day Syria, uh, they became kind of the dominant local nation of these these local powers uh, and uh, they joined up with uh, Israel sometimes called Ephraim because of the northern uh, tribe uh, that was a descendant of uh, Joseph Ephraim and Manasseh that Jacob adopted uh, and Ephraim became kind of the, the prominent central uh, tribe uh, in the uh, the northern kingdom of Israel after the kingdom was divided in two after uh, Solomon and his son uh, Rehoboam. And so here uh, the Arameans and the Israelites uh, join up and they are uh, seeking to build a coalition against the Assyrian threat uh, to the north. Uh, Modern day Iraq uh, along the, uh, between the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. Uh, and you have uh, this uh, massively growing uh, military might uh, from the Assyrians and so as they're building their coalition, uh, you have the Arameans, uh, the, the Israelites, uh, also along with uh, Lot's descendants uh, like Moab, uh, Ammon, uh, the Edomites, uh, the, you have the Philistines to the west, uh, Phoenicians. And so they're kind of all, all joining up uh, and Judah alone uh, refuses to, to enter. Uh, Ahaz refuses to, uh, to join in their coalition against the the Assyrians. And so they seek to depose Ahaz uh, to put their king on the throne, uh, who would basically to make Judah, uh, the southern kingdom, kind of a vassal state that would do their bidding and join them against the Assyrians. And so when this attack fails, uh, maybe uh, some of these things are going on at the time. And so Certain things after this attack on Jerusalem fails uh, from the Arameans and the, uh, the Israel, the northern kingdom. Uh, 
at least soon after these events that follow, with Isaiah being sent uh, to exhort King Ahaz uh, to trust God, to not fear these men, these kings, uh, at least shortly after this, uh, the Arameans uh, attack to the south and take the important uh, harbor city of Elat, uh, and uh, the Edomites end up uh, having control over that. The Edomites attack from the south. Uh, the Philistines attack from the west, uh, heading into the, the hill country of Judah. And so uh, a tremendous amount of pressure is being placed uh, upon them uh, in this threat to depose King, King Ahaz. And so looking at it just from a human perspective, uh, you can see why the people were frightened uh, by, by this. Uh, but knowing that Yahweh is king, Yahweh is enthroned, uh, he sends his prophet uh, Isaiah, who'd been commissioned no more than five years before, uh, he sends Isaiah uh, with his first son as a sign, uh, She'ar Yashuv, a remnant shall return, which could be very encouraging, but after Ahaz doesn't believe, it also turns to judgment. So salvation and judgment, there's a certain... Uh, am, ambiguity about this uh, remnant. What remnant is? Is it uh, a remnant of their enemies shall return? God will defeat their enemies? Uh, you, you have that theme carried throughout. Uh, but also, after they rebel, uh, we had just seen with uh, the commissioning, let's uh, read at the very end of chapter 6. God's going to, he sends Isaiah to bring judgment uh, verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Then I said, Here I am, uh, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people. So here's, here's Isaiah's mission. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So by and large, it's a message of judgment that Isaiah uh, preaches. Uh, then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. And Yahweh removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, a remnant, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. And maybe it'd be better, its stump is a holy seed. And so from this stump uh, that's left, uh, there will be uh, a holy seed uh, there will be uh, a remnant uh, in these themes. These ideas are pulled throughout. And so you have this remnant theology and idea. And we'll see the people's hearts shake like the you know, trees of a forest uh, from the wind. Uh, you, you see that theme of, uh, of like a tree uh, carried throughout. Uh, and then Isaiah's son, Sha'ar Yashuv, a remnant shall return. Uh, this remnant idea uh, that's going to be built upon. And so uh, let's just uh, read uh, through the passage uh, leading up to the sign. 
<laughs> and so we will see the, uh, this threat, this problem from the, the two nations against Judah, Ahaz. Uh, then we'll see Isaiah being sent uh, to exhort King Ahaz uh, to believe. Uh, and this will lead in to the sign. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And Yahweh said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Sha'ar Yashuv, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool, on the highway to the washer's field. And now remember, this location is going to be picked back up. It was probably to the northwest of the temple, uh, Temple Mount, Mount Zion. Uh, and Ahaz is checking out the water supply. Uh, you also have this main road that passes through, uh, along which the Assyrians will later come in Hezekiah's day, uh, chapter 30, 36. And so Ahaz is being tested here, uh, and later Hezekiah will be. And you'll see the contrast between uh, Hezekiah and his father, uh, his father who doesn't believe and Hezekiah who does believe uh, at, the, at the time. And so this location is, uh, will be very significant. So Yahweh said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Sha'ar Yashuv, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool, on the highway to the washer's field. That'd be where the washer with all his uh, uh, various chemical agents and, and such like that would uh, clean the uh, clothes. Uh, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet. Do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint, uh, because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. So they're just kind of uh, smoldering stumps or, or logs. Uh, don't fear, fear them. Uh, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, and the son of Remaliah, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify him. And let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. It's not going to happen. Uh, for the head of Syria is Damascus. So, uh, Syria, the nation, uh, the head of Syria is Damascus, the capital. And the head of Damascus is Rezin, the king. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim, the nation, is Samaria. And the head of uh, the capital and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah, the king. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And so, in light of all this, it's not going to happen. Uh, and you see the exhortations, uh, the main point at the very start of this uh, he sends Isaiah and say to him, verse 4, be, be careful, be quiet. Be careful, be quiet. Uh, or, uh, watch, uh, watch yourself. Uh, be careful, be quiet. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint. Because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, 
fierce anger of Rezan, and Syria and the son of Remaliah. And then verse 9 at the very end, uh, on the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And so, call uh, to, uh, to trust God, uh, to be steadfast, trusting God. Uh, it's not going to happen. It's not going to come to pass. Uh, and even uh, you see this declaration that Ephraim, within 65 years, uh, the northern kingdom is going to be shattered from being a people. Uh, with the events uh, that we're going to see following with the Assyrians, uh, with the deportations that are going to come, uh, but also uh, with, uh, it's probably around that time frame that the Assyrians also brought in uh, other peoples uh, into the land uh, of uh, the northern kingdom, uh, Samaria, the capital, that become the Samaritan people. So they brought mixed uh, other peoples, other people groups, and they mixed with whatever <coughs> uh, remnant of uh, the Israelites were still uh, there. And so uh, the northern kingdom was no longer uh, a united people. Uh, they'd been deported and foreign peoples brought in uh, in this uh, time frame. So you have uh, Isaiah's exhortations, as we spoke about. He, he sends Isaiah and says, go say to Ahaz. Now the assumption is he did it, and it picks back up with, uh, instead of just repeating all that and saying, so Isaiah went and blah, 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 you know, just repeated all, <laughs> instead of having to repeat all this, it just assumes that Isaiah did go and say this. And so this brings us uh, back uh, to uh, the sun. And let's go ahead and we'll break it up uh, in two uh, parts. Uh, we've already covered some of this. So we'll go from verse 10 uh, through verse uh, 17. Uh, and uh, Ryan, would you like to uh, read? Sure, Isaiah 7, starting in verse 10. Again the Lord said to Ahaz, spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. And there that the king of Assyria, you suddenly have a shift in, in the prophecy, everything could sound positive up to that point. Uh, and so, as you're reading through this, I mean, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. It shall not happen. It shall not come to pass. So you see God's faithfulness to what he just declared. Uh, and so for Ahaz, for the people, that's good news. Uh, the... Uh, the very deliverance that God has promised, uh, it's going to happen. The land whose two kings you dread 
will be deserted. Aram, Israel to the north. Uh, and then, read this. Uh, Yahweh will, so the, the, two, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. No, no, listen to this. Yahweh will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house, the, the Davidic house, you know, God's covenants, his, his promises. Uh, Yahweh will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. Well, when was that? Solomon? The United Kingdom? The Davidic Kingdom? The glory days? And in, I, the land whose two kings will be deserted. You know, all, all of this sounds positive. Uh, the Davidic house, the, the Davidic promises, uh, the Davidic heir. Uh, but at the long of this end, long, 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 long sentence, uh, the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Uh-oh, now, now it's bad. And, and Ahaz was trusting in the king of Assyria. In fact, if you read like in Kings uh, chapter 16, if you read through the rest of Isaiah, 1 Chronicles 28, for the background, the history of all these things, uh, he, Ahaz uh, sent tribute to the king of Assyria. Uh, he pleaded for uh, the king of Assyria to, to come uh, and to uh, protect him from these kings and from Aram. Uh, and so the Assyrians, uh, they do that very thing. Uh, uh, Tiglath-Pileser uh, 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 comes and wipes out Damascus, uh, kills Rezin, uh, overthrows the king, uh, deports uh, Israel. Uh, you have uh, these series of campaigns uh, just utterly uh, destroys and ruins and uh, kills and burns and, and uh, deports. And so you have this, this deliverance. Uh, and so... What it seems like a positive thing, but then it turns bad. And so Ahaz was trusting in the king of Assyria, but now God's going to send the king of Assyria for judgment. Uh, and we'll be seeing four times in that day, in that day, in that day, in that day, uh, talking about the, the judgment that's going to come upon them. Uh, so let's just go uh, back quickly through uh, the sign up to this point. And so verse 10, uh, you, you see uh, after Isaiah exhorts and says, you know, this will not uh, happen. This will not come to pass. He calls him to be firm in faith or you will not be firm at all. A call to faith. And, and then uh, he, he offers, he commands. Uh, again, Yahweh spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol, the abode of the dead, or as high as heaven. Make it as big and grand as you can even imagine, uh, and God will do it. And so, exhortation, commandment, ask for a sign, anything. And so, what do you do when God commands you, his prophet, ask for a sign? You ask for a sign. <laughs> uh, Ahaz, Ahaz is so pious, though, that, but Ahaz said, I, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. I will not put Yahweh to the test. Is it testing God to ask for what he's told you to ask for? <laughs> Is it testing God to obey his commandments and listen to it and believe his word and trust in him? No. Uh, 
There are even all sorts of word plays in here uh, where he tells him to, uh, to ask uh, Sheol uh, and talk, and to make it as deep as uh, Sheol, Sheola. Uh, and here uh, Ahaz says, uh, Lo, no, not, uh, Ashal, I will not ask. Okay, we have little, little, little plays, uh, uh, sort of word plays in here. Uh, he will not ask. He will not put Yahweh uh, to the test. And so it's false humility. If you read through the rest of Isaiah, if you know the background of Kings 16, Second uh, Kings 16, Second uh, Chronicles 30 or 28, I think around there, um, you know that Ahaz is going to turn to the Assyrians if he hasn't already. Uh, and so God knows what's in his heart. His prophet knows. And so you see even this tenderness, ask a sign of the Lord of Yahweh, your, your God. He's your God, Ahaz. Uh, but Ahaz rejects the sign in uh, unbelief, in, in false, a false humility. Uh, but Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put Yahweh to the test. Uh, verse 13 brings us to the sign. And he said, Hear then, O house of David. Should the house of David be acting this way in, in unbelief uh, against God? Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? You know, men are wearied out by Ahaz. Isaiah's tired of, you know, this king. Uh, how much more, you, you know, weary out God's prophet, weary out the men around you, uh, is it too much for you to weary men that you weary my God also? God's grown, growing impatient uh, with, with Ahaz. Uh, therefore, uh, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Immanuel, God with us. He shall eat curds and honey uh, when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. So, God gives him a sign anyway uh, that all he said uh, is going uh, to, uh, to come to pass. Uh, and there's certain things about the sign that we'll see. I mean, he, he sends Isaiah. Just remember what we had just read with Isaiah's commissioning. Keep on hearing. Uh, go and say to those people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Isaiah speaks in parables and riddles. Uh, uh, you, you see even Jesus, when he, he gives the reason, the motivation uh, for why he speaks to the people in parables, he quotes from Isaiah. It's so that he go and speak to those people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. So they hear the message, but their hearts are so hard, uh, they often don't even understand it. Uh, and if they understand it, they don't believe it with, with their hearts. Uh, so they're going to go, they're going to trust in the Assyrians. They're, they're going to look to men. Uh, they're going to look to nations. They're going to look to chariots and horses. Uh, they're not going to look uh, to God. So uh, with a hard heart, a lot of times the message is rejected all right. So 
you don't even give attention to it. What's that guy saying? Uh, but then if they do understand what he's saying just cognitively, you know, they, they mentally grasp it. Okay. Um, they don't believe it. They reject, they reject God's word. They reject uh, Christ's words. Uh, and so initially when he's delivering this, there's a, uh, it's kind of like with Jesus' parables. Uh, they both to conceal the truth and reveal the truth. And it, uh, this is what my professor said, it was to challenge the listeners. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. They were to listen. They were to try and understand what Jesus was, uh, was saying. Uh, uh, but uh, for unbelieving hard hearts, they, they reject it. Uh, they, they, they can't bear to, to listen uh, to it. And so uh, there's a certain level of ambiguity what's going on. But then as we read through this, uh, and we go to the unfolding of the sign in uh, Isaiah's day uh, in chapter 8, which flows right into this. Chapter marker wasn't there, uh, but you have kind of a new scene. Uh, we'll see the unfolding of the sign in Isaiah's own day, and then a projection into the future as we get into uh, chapter uh, chapter 9. So just as we're reading through this, you see these Davidic elements uh, in some who, who don't want to connect it to Isaiah's son, Maher Shalal Hashbaz at all. You know, they'll point out these elements, and they're partially right. Uh, and we'll see that when we get when he projects into the future. But they're partially wrong because they, they feel to see uh, sort of the dual fulfillment uh, with Isaiah's son, but then in the future, a greater son, a Davidic son. And so, uh, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Uh, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And uh, Allah uh, that, that word, uh, we've studied it in depth uh, in the past, can't go back into all that, uh, but it has to do, some summarize it as a, woman of, a young woman of marriageable age, uh, but it really has to do with a young woman who's in her prime, uh, in her physical prime, uh, and who's reached the age of uh, motherhood, of uh, of marriage, of uh, childbearing, uh, bearing and rearing and marriage and, and all these things. And so uh, the, the term has a certain amount of, has a range of meaning, uh, elasticity uh, that allows for the, uh, the fulfillments as they unfold with uh, Isaiah and his son. Uh, but then uh, as you look to the future and God performs an even greater sign uh, in uh in the, the sending of his ultimate son in, in the very days of uh, Joseph and Mary. And we'll, we'll talk about that some more as well. But uh, in Alma, in Alma uh, could be married, but if she wasn't married, uh, she would be expected to be a virgin. Uh, and for all of the young bachelors in uh, Judah and Israel at that time, uh, if you were to look for a, a wife, you would want to look among the alamot, uh, the, uh, it's plural for alma. <laughs> so for these uh, young women uh, who are in the prime uh, for marriage and uh, childbearing. Uh, so therefore the Lord uh, himself will give you a sign. Uh, behold, uh, the virgin uh, shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
God with us. Uh, in this, uh, this uh, pronouncement, uh, uh, the virgin uh, sh- shall conceive or uh, has conceived as bearing a son and she calls his name Emmanuel or uh, she is pregnant bearing a son and she calls his name uh, God with us. Uh, this is used uh, again and again. So for instance, with uh, Hagar, uh, that uh, Sarai gave to Avram, uh, Abram, uh, at the time, and he took Hagar, uh, which he shouldn't have done. He, he wasn't trusting God's promises at that time. Uh, but uh, you see that uh, the uh, angel, uh, or the, the envoy of Yahweh, uh, this messenger uh, who himself is Yahweh, uh, he promise, gives this promise to Hagar. Uh, and you see this language of uh, conceived, bearing a son, she'll call his name. Uh, you see that, I believe, even with uh, Sarai or uh, Sarah, uh, maybe with Rebecca. Uh, you see it with, uh, also with Samson's parents, uh, when Samson is going to be born. And so it's a common pronouncement uh, when uh, God is going to grant uh, a child, a son, uh, in heir uh, to all these people throughout uh, throughout biblical uh, history, and so it's not it's not something that's just like out of nowhere, uh, but it's connected to God's promises, the patriarchs, uh, uh, His covenants, believers throughout uh, throughout history. Uh, and, and also the, the very language. Um, again, virgin is it's an English uh, word, and it's it's in the ballpark, uh, and so. Uh, the Hebrew word uh, betula uh, would be the, the more specific term for a virgin. But even the, these two words, alma and betula, can overlap so that uh, even with uh, Rebecca and uh, Abraham's servant is sent to Abraham's own people t- to look for a wife for Isaac and he prays to Yahweh to prosper his way. And Re- you know, Rebecca comes out to the well. She's called both things uh, at, at that time, uh, alma and betula. So she is a young woman of marriageable age in her prime, uh, but uh, she was also uh, a virgin. Um, but uh, the importance of context, a lot of times we get hung up on words. So talking about that, I don't want to... A lot of times, sometimes you have a commentary that's almost like a running word study. Well, words are important. They contribute to, to the meaning. <laughs> you obviously need words uh, to communicate, but we want to be able to follow the context of the prophecy. Uh, that's a whole lot more powerful because just this very prophecy, even if you take the English word uh, virgin, uh, this promise in and of itself doesn't mean, it just means that it's speaking about someone who is a virgin. It doesn't uh, necessarily mean if you take this line just in and of itself, it doesn't mean that uh, when she became pregnant, she was a virgin, or after she gave birth, she would still be a virgin. And so you need the context. You have to follow through uh, to where Isaiah is going to project into the future. Uh, we'll see that there's a greater son uh, that's promised, and that in uh, Mary and Joseph's own day, God performs an even greater miracle. Uh, virgin births uh, bound up with the incarnation uh, didn't just happen all the time. Uh, they happened once. Some some argue some argue that there there must have been some virgin like in the court uh, that it was a virgin birth, um, but no that was that was unique uh, to the incarnation. 
uh, the Spirit coming upon Mary, uh, that was something that happened once uh, and only once. Yeah. So would the, the, uh, the Jewish people have taken this verse and, and thought that the Messiah that would be coming would be born of a virgin? Well, certainly of... You know, that at birth she would be a virgin still? Would, would, would they take that to well, mean that from that? Well, I, I want to go dig into that more, especially as we get, when we project into the future, mm-hmm. as we get into chapter, chapter 9, three. because then you're going to see the, the promises, uh, there are expectations that we're going to see along the way where you can't escape that's related to Isaiah's son, mm-hmm. but we're also going to see these things that were like, yeah, but there are certain things that, uh, that make us expect more. And so he's, he's going to project then uh, into the future with this uh, greater promise uh, and even one uh, who will be uh, the, the God-man. Uh, so uh, we, we'll discuss that more as we get into, uh, into uh, chapter 9 and probably especially uh, n- next week. And so... Uh, uh, but the, the one thing that, that like we'll, we'll talk about also is that uh, when these uh, events happen and come to pass, uh, we'll see this uh, far greater promise uh, of the, uh, the God-man, the one who lives and reigns forever, who is uh, the unique son, uh, bound up with those uh, promises that <laughs> uh, with... Uh, with the greater sign that God performs in Joseph and Mary's day, you couldn't fail to think about, think back to this text, uh, especially if you know it like in context uh, and with what we'll be seeing in chapter 9, chapter 11, as it's looking, you know, to us the son is born, to us the child is given. Uh, and you see the one who um, will see such close connections bound up uh, with Yahweh himself, uh, God. God himself and that's carried throughout the book of Isaiah and so uh, some of those things too uh, you you really have to study like the the whole book and trace these things uh, throughout uh, that uh, the expectations keep keep building greater and greater and greater uh, as you as you read Uh, and we will see that well I suppose he, he has a father obviously in the sense that he's of the Davidic line. He comes, he comes from the remnant of Israel. He's within the Davidic line. And you see those connections like in the genealogies of Matthew and Luke. But it only says that, that he's born here of an Ummah. And, and uh, it, it won't uh, talk, I guess, about, it won't talk about, you know, his physical father or anything like that. And so, but, We'll, we'll see the expectations are, are grand. So uh, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, and here, you know what? It is interesting. He, he is addressing the house of David. It might make you think, is it Davidic here? He, he doesn't say, but he just addressed the house of David uh, and talking about kings and things like that. Uh, he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. And now curds and honey could be a good thing. 
uh, they're going into a land flowing with milk and honey and talks about like all the, all the food of the land and richness and such uh, when God brings his people uh, into this uh, promised land that he promised to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So curds and honey can be a good thing. Uh, and so just like I was saying, you can read everything as if it's good. You know, God's promises and salvation uh, throughout this point. But it's still speaking. It's speaking about this one who will be born. He shall eat curds and honey uh, when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Uh, speaking about uh, moral uh, discernment uh, and being able to uh, make uh, grow in wisdom, uh, to, to make right choices, uh, to make uh, to refuse you know bad choices, uh, what's evil, uh, to choose what's good. Uh, and uh, Ryan and I were talking a little bit about this uh, last week. Maybe you can't get into too much. But you kind of have to, you have to be a little careful because there are elements uh, of this where we talk about like age of accountability. Uh, this phrase can be used for kind of a range of things. And so the man and the woman in the garden uh, talks about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, God gave them his word. He gave them a commandment. They knew right from wrong. They knew the consequences of eating from the, uh, they're permitted to eat from all the trees in the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, day that you eat in it, dying, you shall die. You shall surely die. So they had God's word. They knew right, right from wrong. Uh, and that was true wisdom, to believe God, to trust God, to walk humbly with God, uh, to uh, obey his word. Uh, that's where true wisdom is found, the fear of the Lord. Uh, but what the serpent seemed to be promising them, uh, he seemed to be promising them, well, you shall be just like God, knowing, knowing uh, good uh, and evil. And so it seems to be the promise of kind of an autonomous knowledge of good and evil, uh, that they're independent of God. They determine what's good. They determine uh, what, what's evil. They determine what's right, what's wrong. They rule their own course. They're the masters of, uh, of, of their own ships. Uh, and so he seems to be promising kind of an, uh, an autonomous, independent you know, knowledge of good and evil apart from God. God made him, already made him after, in his image after their likeness, but you should be just like God. Uh, go, go beyond what, what God had, had done for them. Uh, and so you have kind of this autonomous, independent knowledge of God, you know, that they hope for. But what happened when they actually ate? They had an experiential knowledge of good and evil. Now they had committed evil. They hadn't committed evil before. Now they know evil as lawbreakers. And so they're naked and now ashamed uh, before God uh, because of their guilt before him. Uh, and God doesn't have that kind of knowledge of evil, of actually committing evil you know, doing evil, uh, God, uh, God does not, he, he can't do evil. Uh, God is the very, the very standard uh, of, of goodness and uh, what uh, good and evil is measured against. Uh, and then, for instance, the, so you have uh, autonomous independent knowledge of good and evil, uh, but then you also have kind of experiential knowledge actually committing it you think about the wilderness, uh, those who were under the age of 20 who hadn't known good or evil. Well, 19, 18-year-olds didn't sin. 
They didn't know right from wrong at all. They, they didn't hear God's commandments that they're to be taught, you know, from little kids and, uh, to, you know, speak to these things, uh, you know, as you walk by the way, it's in the house, lie down, rise up. Uh, that can't be, but it was the, men, the fighting men and the spies of 20 and up who were given the commandment to go into the land and they were the ones who rebelled against God. Those who were under 20 did, didn't do that. They weren't put in the same position. And so even there, uh, they hadn't known good or evil. They hadn't committed the sins of their fathers. It was their fathers who did that. And so God spares uh, those who were under, uh, under 20. Uh, and so there are these kind of different aspects in, in the idea of also growing uh, in moral discernment. It's kind of like the author of Hebrews who talks about uh, that uh, solid food is for the mature who have their, uh, was it through uh, training, uh, careful discernment, that they have their, their senses trained to discern, to distinguish between uh, good and evil. And so there's this growth in wisdom, this growth in knowledge, uh, and there's this element as children, uh, children grow, that they grow in wisdom. They have to learn uh, right, uh, right from wrong. So uh, here, uh, this child is going to be a little bit of excursus, but uh, this child, uh, he shall eat curds and honey uh, when he knows how to refuse the evil uh, and choose the good. And so talking about he's going to be young uh, and there's going to be this uh, growth in, in moral uh, discernment when he shall eat, you know, leading up to, uh, up to this point, you'll be eating curds and honey, you know, by this time. And we'll see this pl played off in the next section uh, as well. Uh, for before the boy knows how to uh, say my father and my mother, so you'll be young. So he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. And we have support, explanation for this. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So the Arabian threat, Israel, the northern kingdom, Rezin, uh, Pekah, the son of Remaliah. He just calls him the son of Remaliah. This was a usurper, second to last king over the Israel. Uh, Israelite throne who deposed <laughs> previous king. He's just the son of Remaliah. Um, uh, the land whose two kings, uh, for before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So it's connected to this very time frame. Can't be all about Jesus, uh, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, Yahweh will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. Uh, and as we said, it could be all positive here. And, and even here, uh, Yahweh will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house. What? Such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. That'd be a false sentence. But he saves the surprise for the end. The king of Assyria. And now Ahaz's his heart, you know, uh, uh, the court around him, house of David, uh, it's either dropped to their stomachs or up in their throats uh, uh, as he pronounces the king of the, coming of the king of Assyria. Uh, in these days, as we spoke about positively, Yahweh yeah, will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come uh, since the day that Ephraim apart from Judah. 
Is that, is that the time of the United Kingdom? Solomon, Rehoboam, when the, when the kingdom was united? Or was it when it was divided with Rehoboam? Could be either way. Were they united or, or divided? Um, since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. So which, which side is it putting it on? Uh, positively? Before? Negatively? Uh, king of Assyria? Oh, it's when it was divided. Turns to judgment. But by the end, as you get through this section, it looks to the future, you get through chapters 11 and 12, they're going to be united again. So you have both elements. They're, they're going to be played off of. But, but now we turn to judgment. So four times in that day. Uh, so the king of Assyria. Uh, the days that are going to come. Uh, in that day, uh, Yahweh will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will come. Uh, they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. Uh, and so the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. Uh, and here, God whistling, a lot of times it's when he calls the nations and calls their armies uh, out. Uh, and so you have this imagery of flies and bees, you know, kind of invading uh, the land, maybe even drawing on some of the like plague imagery uh, along, along the way. Uh, but a lot of times that's used as a picture for, for all the armies and such. And, and in Joel, you have the locusts. You have a plague of locusts that really devoured the land, and, and the locusts are pictured as an army. But then you have armies that are pictured as locusts. <laughs> you know, uh, you, it can be played off of both, both ways. Uh, God, even some of the uh, plagues that you say bring on their enemies as they went to the land, that he'd have bees, you know, come and sting the Canaanites and things like that. So uh, you have the, uh, all these soldiers swarming and filling the land from Egypt into Syria, these great empires. Uh, in that day, uh, the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river. Uh, with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. So the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired, a hired razor, uh, beyond the river. River Euphrates, that's the river. Uh, with uh, the king of uh, Assyria. Uh, the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away uh, the beard uh, also. And so you, you have this devastation as the king of Assyria uh, comes uh, along the way. And some of the imagery you'll, you'll talk about in the next section, like a king of Assyria will be like a river sweeping up to the neck. And so you have all, all this imagery uh, as the, uh, the attack comes in the armies, but also to humiliate their enemies uh, they would often uh, shave them or shave their beards off. Uh, you see that with some of David's uh, men who were uh, sent out, I don't know if it was to the Ammonites, uh, that had their, at least part of their beard shaved off and uh, to, to humiliate them. And uh, they went in uh, kind of hiding for a while until their beards grew back. So uh, this was to, to degrade and humiliate them. Uh, and third, in that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. And because of the abundance of milk that they give, 
Is that a good thing? <laughs> a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. That's not much livestock. Uh, and because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds. For everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. Before the boy knows how to, uh, to choose the good and refuse the evil. Usually curds and honey. Can be a good thing, can be prosperity. But now because of the, of the judgment that's going to come, the destruction from the sieges uh, of the Assyrians... Now, that's all they have. They preserve a cow uh, and two sheep. That's all they have to eat. And so far, as far as grain or meat, uh, it's, that's all they have. And so famine is going to spread in the land. Now curds and honey is a bad thing. Uh, verse 23, the fourth time we see, uh, in that day, Every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows, a man will come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. Uh, it's going to be a wild, overgrown land that's no longer uh, tended. Uh, the vineyards will be destroyed and trampled down, like we saw the song of the vineyard uh, in chapter 5. Uh, starting this section. So it'll be a wild land. Uh, and so with bow, uh, with bow and arrows, a man will come there for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. Uh, and when your vineyards uh, become a place for uh uh, the loosing of cattle and the treading of sheep, that's not a good thing. You don't let the cattle and the sheep overrun your, your vineyards. <clears throat> and so this is all judgment, 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 judgment bound up with the Assyrians. Now, a lot of times, you know, if we just read Matthew, well, Isaiah 7, 14, he quotes it, so maybe we don't even come back and read that. But, you know, if we look back, we might say, uh, okay, uh, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, uh, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Great, that's it. You know, it's like you don't even read the next line. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For uh, before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Where did the king of Aram, you know, resin of Damascus, and where did uh, uh, the son of Remaliah, Pekah, king of Israel, where are they mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew? Nowhere. <laughs> what did they have to do? They were dead and gone for hundreds of years. And so you, you have so many elements of this prophecy that came to pass. And uh, if we do not read through the following section in Isaiah's own day before projecting into the future, you would make Isaiah a false prophet. It's this that demonstrates God commissioning his prophet that he was a true prophet sent from God, according to Deuteronomy 13, 18, and he was to be believed. Uh, the sign came to pass. You know, a uh, prophet, uh, or talks about, uh, was it a dreamer of dreams? You know, someone performing a sign or a wonder uh, comes among you uh, and says, let us uh, follow other gods whom you have not known. Uh, 
well, even in the case, you know, if they do perform a sign or a wonder, they're to be rejected if they say, follow another God that contradicted God's word. Uh, but if the sign did not happen or did not come to pass, you shall not be afraid of that prophet, but put them to death. Be a false prophet. But Isaiah, he speaks according to the word of God, and whatever he says, uh, the signs and the wonders, uh, they come about, they come true. Always. And so, this brings us now to the unfolding of the, the prophecy. That was all proclaimed uh, before the Davidic house, before Ahaz, his court, uh, whoever uh, he had there, his high officials. Uh, but now we're going to turn to the unfolding uh, of, of the sign. And let's see, let's... Uh, Dan, would, would you mind uh, reading... Uh, and let's just go ahead and read through a verse. We, would you read through verse 10? Starting with 8. Yep. Okay. Then the Lord said to me, Take for yourself a large tablet and write on it in ordinary letters, Swift is the booty, speedy is the prey, and I will take to myself faithful witnesses for testimony, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of so I approached the prophet, prophetess, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. Then the Lord said to me, Name him Marher Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry out, My father or my mother, the wealth, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. Again, the Lord spoke to me further, saying, Inasmuch as these people have rejected the gentle flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoice in Rezin and the son of Remelia, now therefore, behold, the Lord is about to bring on them the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates, even the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise up over all its channels and go, go over all its banks. Then it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass through. It will even reach to the neck, and the spread of its wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Then, uh, and that goes on. Uh, be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together. But it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For Immanuel, God is with us. And so here you see this unfolding of uh, the sign, and this will lead up to then uh, God's uh, exhortations to uh, Isaiah uh, to not walk in the way of this people, the unbelieving people, Ahaz and the the people, their hearts shook like trees of the forest before the wind. And it says there, you know, in the previous chapter, Ahaz and his people. Uh, so let's go back to verse 1, chapter 8. Uh, then uh, Yahweh said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters, 
belonging to Maher Shalal Hash Baz. Uh, and some quick to the booties with, uh, to, the, to the prey. Uh, Dan, what, what did yours have? Let's see. I'm sorry. What, what, uh, uh, verse 1. Oh, verse 1. Yep. Yeah, take yourself a large tablet and write on it in ordinary letters, swift as the booty, speedy as the prey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so you have this idea of, uh, of booty, of plunder, of spoil, uh, various ways that they uh, translate it, uh, in that it's quick and fast. So uh, quick plunder, speedy spoil. Uh, which... <laughs> uh, just even here, it's kind of interesting. Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters, uh, or even there uh, with the stylus. It's like writing utensil uh, of a man, but it's used. Well, it's used for common, so that's actually that's well put. Um, so a common common stylus or whatever uh, for for writing. So he's to take a large tablet and write on it. Uh, belonging or to Maher Shalal Hashbaz, uh, quick, uh, quick plunder, uh, speedy spoil, uh, uh, quick booty, uh, speedy spoil, uh, which is very <laughs> sort of uh, am- ambiguous. I mean, Isaiah did have a son before Shahar, Yeshuv, a remnant shall return, but here he doesn't even talk about Isaiah's son. So we don't know if Isaiah's even in on it quite yet about what all God hasn't instructed him yet anymore. He just says, uh, then Yahweh said to me, take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to Maher Shalom Hashbaz. So he has this big tablet and it's all written out so you can see it. Uh, uh, quick plunder, speedy spoil. Uh, so, you know, people could see it. They could read it. It'd be, uh, it'd be visible. Uh, and uh, kind of a, a witness, uh, and it's actually still uh, God speaking. And I will get reliable witnesses: Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of uh, Jeberekiah, uh, to attest for me. Uh, reliable witnesses, uh, because every word shall be confirmed by two or three uh, witnesses. <laughs> and so here you have you have two human witnesses. I mean, Isaiah prophesied to this, and you have the tablet. Uh, and so he's getting witnesses for this uh, uh, as well. And so they see the tablet. They see, you know, the, the writing uh, that God had Isaiah do this uh, for, uh, for a sign. Uh, and these witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah, the son of Jeberekiah. Uriah the priest, he was the high priest at this time, and Ahaz when he later went up to uh, Damascus of Aram, modern-day Syria, uh, to meet the king of Assyria, he saw an altar there. And he had the plans sent back, brought back to Uriah the priest to make a pagan altar. From, apparently from Aram, that had been defeated by God. Why would you want the altar? I don't think it was an Assyrian altar. I think it was an Aramean altar. Altar. You know, I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure it was an Aramean altar that he, he saw up there from Damascus. Um, and so he, he had this altar set up and then had Yahweh's altar uh, moved, I believe, to the north and replaced. All the sacrifices were to be put 
on uh, this foreign altar. All of, all of God's sacrifices are now offered on this foreign altar, but save, save the other altar, uh, the bronze altar, uh, to divine from it. Becomes an instrument of divination. Divination to Yahweh or other gods or who? Um, and so Uriah the priest actually ends up building this pagan altar. And so it seemed this is Ahaz's guy. I guess he is reliable enough to attest what's on the tablet and, uh, and uh, the events that uh, happen as a sign. And Zechariah, the son of Jeberechiah, uh, if you read like in Second uh, Kings 16, and I think it's going 17, uh, in Chronicles 28 and so on, there is a Zechariah who's the father of Ahaz's wife. And since they're all mentioned here, almost certainly this is Ahaz's father-in-law. And so you have this priest who builds, later builds the pagan altar, and you have Ahaz's father-in-law, who are witnesses to, to Isaiah writing on this tablet uh, and the events that unfold afterwards uh, that can affirm that he did this, that this was from Yahweh, that this was a sign. So th these are basically... Doesn't mean they're necessarily Isaiah's guys. They're they're close to they're close to King Ahaz, uh, and they're high up and prominent uh, with the uh, political uh, uh, Davidic uh, rebellious Davidic elite. Uh, so uh, take a large tablet and write on it in common char characters belonging to my Hershalah Hashbaz, and I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah, to attest for me. Got the tablet. Got the witnesses. And then uh, Isaiah, and I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Now, some will say, okay, maybe Isaiah's wife died, and maybe so this is a virgin or something like that. But Isaiah was just commissioned no more than five years before. And five, five years might even be a little bit of a stretch uh, at, at that time. Uh, and then his wife would have... Uh, since God, he's commissioned, and he names uh, Sha'ar Yashuv, we're going to see Isaiah, uh, his sons, they're giving them from Yahweh, are signs and wonders from Yahweh. And so she had to be pregnant for, for nine months, uh, have their first child. Uh, God named him, uh, tells him to bring his son, Sha'ar Yashuv. Uh, and so his son is probably no more than a few years, and, and he could be quite young, you know, anywhere between one to a few years uh, old. And so it's new son that's uh, given, uh, which also likely means that uh, Isaiah's wife was also young of a childbearing age uh, at this time. And so uh, his first boy is assigned Sha'ar Yashuv, uh, and you think of a Hosea as well. Uh, and Maybe let, let's just go quickly look at Hosea. We didn't spend time on this, so... While you're doing that, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. when you say that Isaiah was commissioned five years earlier, where yeah. was, where, uh, who commissioned him? Or, oh, uh, God did. Yep. But, but how, how is that? Where is that recorded? Oh, in, uh, we covered it in Isaiah chapter... Uh, chapter... Is that six? Six. Yeah. Six. Oh, yeah. Okay. 
Okay. And so yeah. we, we read just the very end of that, you know, who will go for us? You know, right. who should oh, we say? Yes. Who, okay. who should go for us? Right. It's after he cleanses his lips in the year right. that Uzziah died. Okay. So that, Uzziah died uh, right around year uh, 740 B.C. Right. I don't know if it went 739, but right around, like 740 B.C. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, and this is, this is 735 B.C., so uh, it's less than five years have, uh, have passed. And so we have uh, Hosea, and just look uh, from the beginning, chapter 1, verse 1, uh, the word of Yahweh that came to Hosea, the son of Be'eri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, uh, the king of Israel. And now since it speaks about Jeroboam, he would have been a contemporary of Isaiah because of these Judean kings, uh, but might have even been a little bit earlier because of uh, Jeroboam, uh, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So you have these Judean kings, uh, but uh, the very start of Isaiah speaks the same. Uh, then it was in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. And so their ministries overlap. On verse 2, uh, when, uh, oh, and by the way, why it's also important when it says who they're the son of, and uh, a lot of times they'll give like the tribe or whatever, it is important that they came from among their brothers. They weren't to receive uh, a foreign prophet. Prophets came uh, when God raised up a prophet. It was from among their brothers. And he put their words in, in their mouth. Uh, sometimes you, you almost see that kind of <laughs> kind of literally or like in a vision with uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. You know, take the scroll and eat it. Puts his words in their mouth. Uh, verse uh, 2, uh, when Yahweh first spoke through Hosea, uh, Yahweh said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking Yahweh. So he went and took Gomer, uh, the daughter of uh, Deblaim, uh, and she conceived and bore him a son. That sounds familiar. <laughs> she conceived and bore a son. Uh, and Yahweh said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu, for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Uh, and on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Uh, so call his name Jezreel. He was given as a son. Uh, she conceived again and bore a daughter. And Yahweh said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah and I will save them by Yahweh, their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. Uh, when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And Yahweh said, call his name, not my people. For you are not my people and I am not your God. Uh, and so here you have three signs uh, with the bearing of these sons and daughter 
uh, that are all, they're, they're signs from Yahweh through his prophet. Uh, so you have that with Hosea, and we'll see that Isaiah, that uh, Isaiah and his sons, whom Yahweh has given him, are signs and wonders from Yahweh. And then it uh, turns positive. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head. And they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. With one head. And now, uh, maybe certain elements following with Hezekiah, Josiah, but uh, it all falls short with the deportations and such. It's looking to the future, the far, far distant future, when they're reunited, like we will see in Isaiah. Very same sort of prophecies along the way. So go back to Isaiah chapter 8. Now, it's also important why Alma has this range of meaning uh, for a young woman who's uh, in her prime, a prime for uh, marriage and the bearing and rearing of children. And so after they were married, uh, this term could continue to be used, but before too long, I mean, more and more, woman, wife, you know, there'd be other terms uh, as you go out of your prime, uh, other, other words and language and terms would be applied. And so there's uh, there's this range. And so an Alma that was not married uh, would be uh, expected to be uh, a virgin. Uh, and again, also with, uh, I went to the prophetess. Well, who's the prophetess? Uh, some argue that, okay, maybe his wife died, you know, now there's a virgin or something like that here. But, but it's an Alma, that's the Hebrew language, uh, which has, has the range. Uh, but the interesting thing is, you don't see a marriage ceremony or anything like that. And in fact, prophetess, now a king, uh, Melech, would have a Malkah. Is that what we call Malkah? <laughs> uh, queen, king and queen. Uh, a lot of times with uh, families, and she's bound up with this sign. A lot of times with families, Moses was a prophet. Aaron, his brother, was his prophet. Miriam was a prophetess. And no, it had to be by God's commissioning. Uh, and so sometimes there's a presumptuousness that their family would just continue in the line. But there was a certain element that the high priest, his sons were priests. If the high priest is a priest, uh, then his sons are priests. If uh, your father is king, then and you're the heir, then you're king. Uh, Indeed, Carson has spoken about, said, what, maybe 95 plus percent. Uh, so many sons in those days, it's like now pe people a lot of times, you know, might go to trade school or college and, you know, they find something to do. And some sons do what their fathers do, but a lot, a lot of times kids are off doing all sorts of things, you know, these days. Uh, but back then, you know, if, if your father is carpenter, like Joseph, he's called the carpenter, uh, after he, he's passed away, Calls Jesus the carpenter, taking over for the old man. Uh, and so uh, most sons would do what their fathers did, you know, whatever the trade was. And so uh, it'd be kind of like within the family. And so, you know, king, queen, uh, 
Moses is a prophet. He got commissions, you know, uh, Aaron. But you see, even with the uh, song, uh, the new song, when they come on the Exodus and brought across the river, uh, that Miriam is a prophetess. Well, is God spoken only through Moses? So is he not spoken through us also? Uh, well, God did speak through Aaron and Miriam. Uh, and so this connection within the family, and she's born up with the sign, and you don't see a marriage ceremony. Just says, and I went to the prophetess. <laughs> they sound kind of familiar. Um, and if he just had one child, not long before, as a sign that was sent for the very purpose of bringing him to Ahaz, and now he, another sign, easiest explanation, why say his, why would you think his wife died when it's easier? This is probably just Isaiah's wife. That's, that's the easiest explanation. Uh, and so the, the prophet went to the prophetess. Uh, and I, I went to the prophetess. And she conceived and bore a son. And conceived. Uh, Delma, uh, conceiver is pregnant. Uh, and she'll bear a son. And she'll call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And she conceived and bore a son. Well, that sounds familiar. Uh, then Yahweh said to me, uh, Yahweh said to me, Call his name, and she'll call his name. But now there's something that's a little different, a little strange. Uh, call his name, Maher Shalah Hashbaz. Or call his name Emmanuel. Call his name God with us, right? No. Call his name Maher Shalah Hashbaz. And so you're kind of reading a log and conceived and bore a son. Then Yahweh said to me, call his name Emmanuel. No, Maher Shalah Hashbaz. Uh, Quick, quick booty, speedy, uh, speedy spoil. Uh, quick plunder, speedy spoil. Uh, and so there, there are these differences. We, we see similarities, we see connections back, but we see subtle differences along the way too. Uh, for before the boy knows how, for before the boy knows uh, how, how to choose the evil, uh, or choose the good and, and refuse the evil. No, for before the boy knows how to cry my father or my mother. Similarities and differences, you know, along, along the way. And part of that, you know, speaking in parables, but it, it also shows there, there's continuity, some things that continue and stay the same and some things that are uh, different uh, along, uh, along the way. But here, the, the similarity, conceiving, bearing a son, calling his name, he's a sign, uh, for before the boy knows uh, how to cry my father or my mother. He'd be a young boy, wouldn't he? Before he knows how how to choose the uh, refuse the evil and choose the good, he'd be a young boy. Uh, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The land whose two kings you dread shall be deserted. What kings are these? The wealth of Damascus. That's the capital, Rezin, and the spoil of Samaria. It's the capital of Israel. Uh, will be carried away before the king of Assyria. Isn't that what we had just read with the prophecy? King of Assyria is going to come. Shall not happen, shall not come to pass. And so we, we see the unfolding now uh, of, of the, uh, this prophecy. So he writes on the tablet, gets the reliable witnesses. Um, I went to the prophetess and she, she conceived and bore a son. Uh, then Yahweh said to me, call his name Maher Shalah Hashbaz, for before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, uh, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. And we see that those ideas, wealth, spoil. And so the sign of this boy 
uh, quick plunder, speedy spoil. Salvation. Uh, the, uh, these kings, uh, they'll be brought to nothing. Uh, God's promises and faithfulness to Ahaz and to uh, the Davidic line. But now we go from salvation and starts to turn uh, to a judgment. And so let's just read through this and we'll see a couple of connections and we'll pick up uh, next week and uh, Lord willing, finish the prophecy. Uh, Yahweh spoke to me again. Uh, because this people has refused the waters of uh, Shiloh uh, that flow gently, and they're standing at the waters, the waters connected with Mount Zion, God's holy hill, his temple, uh, God's provision for his people. Uh, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and re rejoice over Rezin and the son of Remaliah, and likely that rejoicing is over their destruction that comes upon them. Uh, therefore, uh, behold, uh, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass Pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, all Emmanuel, God with us. <clears throat> and so, again, this very imagery of the Assyrians swarming into the land, now even up to the neck of Judah, uh, almost cutting them off, submerging them completely. Uh, and uh, this transition is also important because uh, the prophecy in the short term, you see, first starts with uh, that by the time the boy knows how to uh, refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. That happens within just three years. But then it turns to the king of Assyria, events that are going to follow going into Hezekiah's day uh, in the subsequent uh, years as well. Uh, be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. In salvation, yes, but also in judgment with his people. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But Yahweh of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it, they shall fall and be broken, they shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. This prophecy is to be bound up, it's to be sealed for his disciples, those who follow him, the remnant who trust in Yahweh. Uh, Isaiah then says, I will wait for Yahweh who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom Yahweh has given me are signs and portents in Israel from Yahweh of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. They're signs and wonders. 
Lord himself will give you a sign. So we're starting to see the unfolding in Isaiah's own day. But then, Lord willing, uh, next time uh, we'll finish this and see as it projects into the future. Ahaz, the people, should have trusted in their God and his promises. He would protect them. Uh, he would protect and preserve the Davidic line, the Davidic house. But instead, they turned to the nations and peoples and uh, Assyria. So let's just close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you uh, for your faithfulness to, uh, to David. Uh, thank you for speaking and giving uh, this sign uh, and, and signs through your prophet Isaiah. Uh, in, uh, in his own day, uh, we see that he truly was your prophet and authoritative spokesman, uh, but also in the days to come, as he pointed uh, to your son who would live uh, and reign uh, forever uh, over the house of David. Uh, and so we thank you for him. Uh, we thank you uh, for uh, your salvation through his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, and we look forward to his return. Uh, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen.